So one million plus Israelites, old, young, babies and adults, all of them together, had been in slavery for hundreds of years. But the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus that God himself led his people out of slavery. And we've been following this story all summer long in a series we call Red Sea Rules. The reason we call it that is because we are observing what happened in the lives of the Israelites when God led them out of Egypt. They probably thought that it was going to be an easy way out, a straight road right out of Egypt into their future. But they found out really quickly that God did not always do things the way they thought He would do them or the way they wanted Him to do them. And the story we've been following all summer reminds us that sometimes God takes us down a crooked path because He's teaching us a very important lesson. And the lesson that He taught the Israelites and the lessons we can take from their experience we call the Red Sea Rules. The Israelites ended up trapped. They were trapped with the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. And last week we saw why God put them in that place. Because He had planned all along to work one of the greatest miracles in human history. To rescue His people, God literally split the Red Sea in half. And the Israelites walked across on dry land. And when they got across, the Egyptian army rushed in to, to try to capture the Israelites. And God destroyed the Egyptian army right before their eyes. We join the story here in Exodus chapter 14, verse 30. It says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. What an amazing story this is. I can't imagine how the Israelites felt as they stood on the other side of that shore, looking at what God had just done. But the whole situation does beg a question, doesn't it? Why did God have to do it this way? Why did God have to place the Israelites in such a tough spot? I mean, this would have been traumatizing, right? They were just moments before scared out of their minds. It was terrifying to have the Egyptian army, the most powerful in the world, bearing down upon them. They thought they were about to die. They were so sure that God had left them out in the dry. They, they were so sure that they were about to lose everything that they were willing to go back to Egypt, that they would have them. And yet God used this moment. What we're going to see is that God uses our Red Sea moments. You see, the Red Sea moment, with all of its terrifying nature actually was exactly what the Israelites needed in that moment. It was exactly what the doctor ordered, if you will, to grow them, to mature them, to strengthen them. Their Red Sea moment was perfectly designed for them. And what I want you to see today is that your Red Sea moments, whatever they are, large or small, scary or nerve-wracking, whatever your Red Sea moment is, you can be assured that God has perfectly designed your Red Sea moment for your Red Sea growth.
So the Israelites got to see a great miracle, but before the miracle came the Red Sea moment, and it was terrifying. And we learned today that often when it feels like God is tearing us down, He's actually building us up. What looked like the end for the Israelites was actually just the beginning, and God was telling a great story. And if you would have judged the story before He finished writing it, you would have thought that it was a huge failure, the entire Exodus event. Uh, But then came the Red Sea miracle. See, our Red Sea moments often lead to these Red Sea miracles. Sometimes they're huge and epic like the one here in Exodus, but oftentimes they're much more uh, small and, and, and natural in our lives. Uh, whether they're big or small, though, they still are a result of a sovereign God working in our lives. And see, God works in our lives this way, and it brings us to Red Sea rule number nine today, and it's this. Red Sea rule number nine. God uses our Red Sea moments to grow our faith. God uses our Red Sea moments to grow our faith. British missionary J. Hudson Taylor said it like this. I know he tries me only to increase my faith. Now, it's going to be really good for all of us to get to that point in our walk with God and our understanding of Him and our maturity that we begin to trust that when we feel the heat of our Red Sea moments, God is doing something greater than we can even understand. And it's always to grow us. And today, one of the things we're going to see as we begin to look at these verses we just read again a little more closely, we're going to see three important things that happened to the Israelites that could not have happened any other way. In fact, we're going to see three things that were accomplished in their lives during the Red Sea moment, again, that could not have happened any other way. Let's check it out now. Okay, so let's look at these verses again uh, from Exodus 14, verses 30 through 31. We're just going to look at them again. We're going to look under the hood at what exactly happened with the Israelites. Again, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Watch this. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. Those are three important things. Let's take a look at them. Number one. The Israelites saw. That's the first thing that happened. They saw. They observed. And what did they see? The Bible says they saw two things. They saw the result of God's provision for them, dead Egyptians. The army had been destroyed. They observed that. They saw that. And they saw the epic, almost unbelievable power of God. Now, what did that do for them? Well, it grew their faith. Again, Red Sea rule today is this. What God does in our Red Sea moments is He grows our faith. And as they saw what happened in the Exodus miracle, they began to grow in their faith. Hebrews 11.1 tells us how this works. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now how did God grow the faith of the Israelites in this moment? Because it didn't take faith to get across the Red Sea. God did that for them. But what the Red Sea crossing did is it grew their faith for the future. Because listen, he's never going to split the Red Sea again. This was a one-time event. God grew the faith of the Israelites because there were many more adventures and many more smaller Red Sea moments to come. And they were going to need the growth of their faith that would result from the Red Sea miracle to sustain them. 
So what we see here is the, the way we can believe God in those tough moments is to look at what he has already done. And so God was building the faith of the Israelites they saw. The scriptures we just read also say, secondly, that they feared the Lord. So a result of the Red Sea moment that was so terrifying was first, they saw and it built their faith. And secondly, they began to fear the Lord. Listen to Proverbs 9, 10 about the fear of the Lord. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, does this mean we're supposed to be scared of God? That's not what this means. The fear of the Lord is a respect for Him that leads us to obey Him more and more. That's what the Israelites were experiencing here. When they saw who He was and the evidence of who He was, His provision for them, His awesome power, they began to fear Him. They began to respect God that would lead them progressively to more and more obey Him. And that has to happen in our lives as well. So their Red Sea moment was working exactly the way it was designed to work. They began to see and observe who God was. They began to fear Him and walk with Him. And then finally, it says here, they believed in the Lord. They believed in Him. Uh, listen to Romans 10, 9. This is talking about faith, uh, faith that saves us. It's talking about a belief that leads to saving faith. It says in Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So what the Bible is telling us here is that as the Israelites walked across dry land in the middle of the Red Sea, they saw what God did, they began to fear Him, and they began to walk with Him and not just tip their hat and acknowledge Him, but believe in Him. When we teach here at Three Circle Church, we understand that the word belief used in the Bible means that we are placing the entire weight of our lives on who God is and what He's promised to do. In other words, that day when the Israelites walked across dry land, they were trusting their lives in the hand of God. If He didn't save them, they were going to die. If that water didn't stay guarded against them, if that, if that land they were walking across uh, didn't stay dry, they were going to lose their lives. That's what real saving, believing faith looks like. So when we say, yeah, I believe in God, yeah, I believe in Jesus, often I think what we're saying is we acknowledge Him. We acknowledge His existence. Um, but when it comes to saving faith, the Bible is talking about placing the full weight of your life, your eternity, your today, in the hands of God. That's what the Israelites did that day. So what we see is their Red Sea moment that was designed by God was designed perfectly to produce something. And what, what did it produce? It produced faith. It produced a stronger faith. See, without a Red Sea moment, they would not have grown in their faith. No Red Sea moment no Red Sea growth. And that is true for the Israelites. It's true for us as well. Now, when we look at this concept of the fact that often when we feel like God's tearing us down, He's actually building us up. I think one of the greatest examples of that is when you go to a gym and you work out and you see the process of building muscle. Now, I don't know any two people that can talk to you about this better than my good friends, Brandon and Gavin Willison from No Off Season. Let's go hear from them right now. Muscle growth is going to come from stressing the muscle. Um, general adaptation syndrome is where you stress the muscle and the muscle begins to build up an adaptation to that stress. And if you stress it too much, then it leads to exhaustion. So there's three phases of the gen general adaptation syndrome. 
Um, there's the alert phase when you first initially introduce the stress. Then there's the resistance phase where you begin to build up a resistance and try to get back to homeostasis or back to a balanced state. Um, and then there's the fatigued phase where you've exhausted all of your resources and it leads to overexertion, it can lead to injury, it can lead to fatigue. So as a trainer, we have to find a way to balance this. We have to introduce just enough stress to create muscle hypertrophy, to create muscle growth. But if we introduce too much stress at one time, it can lead to exhaustion and lead to injury and lead to someone burning out and giving up before we ever even get started with the whole process. Once an athlete reaches a certain standard with the same weight, we continue to progress that weight. We have to progress that weight for their body to make adaptations to be able to grow. If we're not continuing to stress their body and we're not continuing to place emphasis on those muscle tissues and to continue to progress, they're not gonna continue to grow. They call it insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. If I'm doing the same weight time and time and time again, but I'm trying to get stronger, I'm not gonna get anywhere because I put the same stimulus on my body every time. The thing is you have to get that muscle soreness to begin to, it, create an inflammation process. And through that inflammation process, the tissue begins to repair itself and make itself stronger. So if you stress it again, it's ready for that new stress. Nutrition is critical. I think nutrition, without the proper nutrition, you're not gonna be able to grow. Your body's not gonna be able to develop. You can work out as hard as you want, lift as much weight as you want, run as much as you want. If you're not putting the proper nutrition is, you're never gonna get to where you wanna be. If you're not getting an adequate amount of protein and yet you're expecting to grow muscle, it's just not gonna happen. So at the end of the day, people say it's 80% diet and then it's 20% what you do after that. I've heard some doctors say it's 95% diet, it's 4% sleep and it's 1% what you do after that. So at the end of the day, it ultimately comes down to your diet and making sure you're giving your body what it needs to grow. The muscle building process compared to our spiritual life, I would say go hand in hand. Um, it's incredible how many similarities there are between the two. You look at this and you look at the muscle building process and you look at actually breaking down the muscle tissue in order, you're breaking it down in order to repair it, in order to make it better. In our spiritual life, I've noticed in my spiritual life, there's so many times that God's had to break me down or bring me through tragedy or bring me through hard times to be able to bring me further out ahead, to put more faith in Him, to put more trust in Him, to put more hope in Him. When everything's been easy in my life and when everything's worked out, the process has just been spotless. It's been easy, I've had to rely not as much on my faith, but just going through the motions throughout the day. But I know through the hard times in my life where I've struggled or where I've had issues in my life, God's developed me. I've had to lean in on Him and I've had to wake up in the morning and pray. I, I think about it at night before I go to bed, I'd have to go to bed praying as I went to bed. Um, but in the mornings when I would wake up and I didn't have a bunch on my plate or I wasn't really stressed out or I wasn't really worried about stuff, everything just kind of seemed to go easy. You know, I wasn't spending near as much time in His Word. I love how James says it's not if trials are gonna come, but it's when the trials come and we have to be prepared for those trials. And I love when Jesus gives the parable of the two houses and you see both of these houses and they look identical on the outside, but yet their foundations are built on two different things. You've got one that's built on sand and you've got one that's built on a solid foundation. And when the storm comes, you see the house that's built on the sand wash away. And you see the one that was on a firm foundation stand strong. And this same thing with our faith and our spiritual journey. If we're not building our lives on Christ and on his word and on the scriptures, like it says in Timothy, all scripture is God breathed and it's used for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and encouraging people. 
Um, and that's the thing, that's where we get our that's where we get our fuel from. Just like in the gym, we get our fuel from food and we get our fuel from protein and we build muscle from protein. Where we get our spiritual fuel from, where we get our joy and our peace from is God's word. Um, at the end of the day, he says, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will no longer hunger, will no longer thirst. Um, we can come to him at any time. And the thing is, if we're not preparing for those trials that are coming, uh, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. At the end of the day, um, we won't be prepared when that storm comes and when that storm hits us. And we're going to be turning to everything else but the only one who can satisfy us, the only one that can give us peace through that trial and through that storm. Man, I just love how Brandon and Gavin helped us understand the process that happens in the bodies that God has made for us, that you have to tear muscles down for them to grow. I love the fact that that so perfectly ties in with how God uses Red Sea moments that seem so scary, so impossible, so overwhelming in the moment, but over time they grow us into uh, the image of Jesus, into who God has created us and called us to be. So if God is using our Red Sea moments to grow our faith, I think it's important that we understand what faith is. So what is faith? Let's answer the question, uh, what is faith? By looking at the Word of God itself. Let's go to Hebrews eleven six. 6. Uh, listen to what it says. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So this verse first tells you the importance of faith, but then it defines it. Because I think too many of us, if you grew up in church, you've heard a hundred different definitions of faith. If you've watched Christian television, there's no telling what you've heard about faith. If you've read books that you randomly picked off a shelf, you may have gotten really uh, off-based definitions of faith. So we always want to go to the Word of God. So we go to the Word of God for a definition of faith. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Here it is. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, here's the definition of faith, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So we can't please God without faith, and that's why God is growing our faith in us uh, through our Red Sea moments, but then it defines it for us. What is faith? Here's what it is. Faith is believing God is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do. Again, faith is believing God is who He says He is, and that He will do what He says He will do. That is a biblical definition of faith. Now, when you look at faith, you need to understand there are two types of faith we see in the Bible. The first one is saving faith. You cannot be a Christian without faith. It's by grace, the grace of God that we're saved, but God also gives us this other gift that brings us to salvation, and it is our faith. It is our belief in God. Listen to 1 John uh, 5, 1, teach us about saving faith. It says, everyone who believes, there it is, faith. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, or in other words, everything Jesus said about himself, everything the Bible says about Jesus, if you believe that he is the Christ and has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That's what saving faith looks like. Saving faith is when you believe Jesus is who He says He is to save you. You believe His testimony about Himself. In other words, you believe 
the gospel. That's what we would call saving faith, and it is how one enters into a relationship with God. But that's not the only kind of faith that we learn in the Bible, and also it's not that faith that God is building practically every day in our lives. And see, once you become a Christian, God begins a process of building your practical, everyday faith in Him. And we see these two things happening as we look at this person in the Bible who said these words in Mark 9, 24. It was a man who had truly believed in God. He had faith in God that saved him. But listen to what he says. And I think his words could be applied to all of us. He says this, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now this was a man who Jesus had healed his child, right? And he looks at God and Jesus and he says, I believe, I believe in you, but help my unbelief. What does that mean? Well, it means the same thing it means for you and I. We've trusted in Christ for our eternity, for our salvation, but often it's so hard to trust Jesus for today isn't it? It's so hard to trust him to come through in our finances, to help us with our health issues, to help us in our marriages and in our homes or in the middle of a pandemic when we don't know what's coming next or when we don't know what's going to happen with school starting or not, or when we can't even go to our church buildings, all of the things that we're all facing, we're living life now behind masks with germ X on us at all times, right? It's hard to trust Jesus then, but the Bible says we can and we must, and that in order for us to please God, we must develop that faith. Not just saving faith, but practical, everyday faith. And it's okay for you and I to say like this person did in the Bible, I believe in you to save me. Please help me, God, with my practical, everyday faith to trust you, not just with my eternity, but to trust you with my today. That's what we're talking about. Trust God with your eternity, saving faith. But trust God with everyday faith, practical faith, allowing what, what you believe on Sunday to leak into every day of your life. But the next question we need to answer is this. Now we know what faith is, but if God is building our faith, how exactly does he do it? How does God build our faith? So let's take a look at the Bible again, not just for what faith is, but let's also look in the scriptures to see how God goes about growing and building our faith. To do that, we'll go to James 1, 2 through 4. Listen to these powerful words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing." This is amazing. So this is what the Bible is saying. God wants you to grow in your faith. When you become a Christian, you have placed your saving faith in Him. You've believed Him for who He is. But now you have to learn, and it's a process. And you will fail at this sometimes. And it's hard. But you've got to learn to trust God Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday. For not just eternity, but for today. And that is very pleasing and God-honoring when you do it. And God's going to help you with it. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot build your faith on your, on your own. You're not going to just go out and make yourself a nice workout plan for your faith. It's not going to happen. God does this for all believers. And how does he do it? 
He uses Red Sea moments to grow Red Sea faith in our lives. That's how He does it. Now look what the Bible tells us. It tells, it tells us that we need a new way of looking at our Red Sea moments. James says here, count it all joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every day going, God, you know what I would love today? A terrifying, traumatizing, scary, confusing, overwhelming situation in my life. I never wake up asking for that or wanting it. But the Bible doesn't say here we choose it. It says when it comes, when we come to our Red Sea moments. The book of James says, count it all joy. And here's why. Because if you're a believer, your Red Sea moments are not random. They are designed. And in the same way God designed the perfect thing for the Israelites in that desert, He has designed perfect moments for you to grow your faith. So count it all joy. And look what He says in verse 3. He says, for you know, you can trust that the testing of your faith is producing something. And in the end, I love what He says. He says, God wants you... God's using Red Sea moments to help you lack in nothing. Now, there's been only one human who lacked in nothing, right? And his name was Jesus. Jesus was perfect. We all lack something. In fact, no matter how young or old you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, there's always a next for you and there's always a next for me. Always something new that God is working on in us because we all lack some things, don't we? But the process God's putting us all through is to get us closer and closer and closer to that place where we lack nothing, that place of being like Jesus. And what's he using to do it? He's using the hard stuff. Red Sea moments are fertilizer for the garden of faith. It grows us up. It makes us stronger. It's hard. feels like he's tearing us down, but he's really building us up. And what we have to learn, like the Israelites did, like the people who were around Jesus, the disciples did, like the apostles learned in the New Testament. We have to learn that God always does what He says He will do, and He will do that again and again and again. We must learn to trust in our God. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness still in your hands this is my confidence you never fail me yet
So that great song reminds us that we can trust God to do what he says he will do. Now, the last piece I want you to see in this is how God tested the Israelites in their faith after he showed them his great power. God is the greatest teacher of all time. And if you grew up like I did uh, taking tests, I bet you know what it feels like to be taught something and then be tested on what you were just taught. Every good teacher does that. You need to understand that God will test you. He will never tempt you. Never. The Bible guarantees you that. So you can trust that God is never trying to harm you and he's never trying to get you to fail. What he's trying to do, what he will do is build your faith. And he does that by testing you. He did it for the Israelites. Look what the Bible tells us happened right after the Red Sea moment, right after the Red Sea miracle. God teaches them a lesson. Look at Exodus 15, 22 to 25. After they get over on dry land, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. So they went three days without water. They are thirsty, and they are scared. Look what it says. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. So they find water. They can't even drink it. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses. And they said, What shall we drink? Watch this. And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. In other words, they could drink it. Now, what is God doing here? God taught them a water lesson by splitting the Red Sea. And as soon as they get across, 
with all of that new knowledge of what he could do in his power, he then gives them a water test. And they failed. So if you ever feel bad about yourself, you feel like, man, I don't know why God loves me, why God would use me. Just read about the Israelites. They just watched God split the Red Sea. And it took just a few days. And they began to distrust God. And they began to doubt that he could even get them water to drink. And he proved again that he could absolutely sustain them. So what you need to understand is you are getting to see up close and personal how God works with Israel and it's how he works with us. God wants us to grow and he's going to grow Israel and he's going to grow you. If you will trust that God uses your Red Sea moments to grow your faith. You may be in the middle of a test right now. You're going to have to look back and realize all of the times God has worked in your life and believe that He will continue to do that. And when your Red Sea moment feels overwhelming, you need to understand that what feels like God tearing you down is actually God building you up. And you can rejoice when you face your Red Sea moments because you know that God's going to do something good in those moments. He's building you up. Red Sea rule for the day. God uses our Red Sea moments to grow our faith.